Okay, let's pray and then we'll chat a little bit. Let's pray, we'll chat a little bit. Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Lent 1. O God, by whose spirit we're led into the wilderness of trial, grant that standing in your strength against the power of darkness, we may win the victory over all suggestions, that with singleness of heart we always serve you and you alone, through Christ our Lord, who was at all points tempted as we are but did not fall, your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, good to see you. Thanks for everything. A um, couple of things. The very, very last house meeting, Pastor Bukes is going to put one together, but it's not going to be at the house. It's going to be here at church on Friday. So there are people who, you know, like take Dave Woolrob, for example. He, his excuse was, it was my 60th birthday and my family had a party for me. <laughs> really? But we had a party too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, people find there are things that get in the way, right? So if he didn't go to a house, uh, if he didn't make it to one of the houses, um, then you can come this Friday here at church. Pastor Bukes will be here to welcome you. Full blast party supplies in place. But give him a buzz if you're coming, would you? So he said he's got 20 or 25 people already who have, you know, couldn't come and might come. So please, please do that, okay? Uh, just kind of as a close thing to that, occasionally, although not so much, old habits die hard, occasionally... Um, people say we don't communicate well enough. So I've instituted a new program, and I've asked the other pastors. So here's what happened. I thought we communicated fine, because right now I'm sending you a text two times a week. I'm sending an email once a week. I'm sending you a postcard once a week. I'm meeting you in your house alone, and I'm meeting you in your house in parties. Once a month, you're getting a letter from me with the envelopes. I'm writing 10 handwritten notes a week. Um, you get life together, the big screen, and Bible study. Now, for some people, apparently that's not enough. So what I've decided is that the Bukes family and the Nelson family, we can't do this because we don't have enough people in our family. But I talked to both of them. They are willing to come to your house, have a sleepover, and they will, <laughs> the, bo- the children will sing to you the Life Together announcements in four-part harmony. Okay? Because I don't know what else to do. You know, we have about nine contacts a month with you. I'm thinking you're going to not write letters and say, you're not communicating. I'm thinking you're going to say to me, but it's a couple of people, you know, some people came to Carol. Hi, hey, she's the president. You know, we're not communicating. I'm like, we're not communicating. There is broadcast and there is reception, okay? Turn your radio on, okay? We are here. So, um, you know, stuff's coming at you, but you have to, like, open the, you have to open the envelopes and stuff, right? So just kind of, kind of think that through. I will. Don't think I will not send the Bukes boys to your house, because I will. <laughs> I will. I promise you I will, all right? Then just, you know, just a sidebar, and I didn't prepare a lot for this this year because I've done it two or three years in a row. I didn't want to bore you, but, you know, there's no Lent without fasting, really. And I just want you to just five minutes on setting up your fast for, for Lent. You know, every, it's a, you know, we've been through this, right? People fast during Lent. That's what you do. And you remember the different things that order the church. There's four things in the church that order time, and there's three things that order space, right? So um, prayer orders your day, because you pray at a fixed time every day. And the Sabbath orders your week. And the feast, the great feast, right? Um, Christmas, Easter, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, the great Pentecost. The great feasts order your year. And then a pilgrimage orders your life. So I would just advise to you, once in your life, walk the Camino in Spain or take a pilgrimage to Rome or to Jerusalem. But so everybody, the church, everybody in the church, 
I think, understands that our lives need to be disciplined and ordered. By the way, the sermon was brilliant this morning again. You know, so you're, you, you have these things that order your time, order your day, order your week, order your year, order your life, right? That's part of the, the orbit around Christ. And then there's three things that order space. Fasting orders your body, and tithing orders your work, and the Eucharist orders your community, right? We did this, we've done this a couple of times before, but I just kind of want to kind of remind you, you know, we're all not just kind of loose cannons firing in any direction, no. Because we're broken, we need order, right? This is a basic definition. Life is order, death is chaos. Tohu abohu, Genesis 1, the spirit hovers over the water, and from formless and voidness, he brings forth order, right? This is why your children should clean your rooms. As I've often told you, it turns out that cleanliness is, in fact, next to godliness. Yes, it's true, right? Because that's order. So there's ways to order time and space, and Lent is part of that. Um, you know, now just kind of remembering the difference between fasting and abstinence. Abstinence means you give something up. So, you know, you give up meat on Friday. That's abstinence, technically. Fasting is technically for a short period of time, half a day, 24 hours, six hours. You don't eat or drink and or drink. So a total fast is no food, no intake at all for a certain period of time. You shouldn't do that for too awful long. I'm not a doctor of that sort, um, you know, so I'm not giving you any medical advice. But fasting is basically you don't, there is no intake of something, right? Um, maybe you don't eat or maybe you don't drink or maybe you don't eat or drink for a period of time. That's not quite as common, although it does, it does do you some good if you say to yourself, you know, you wake up Monday morning and you're not going to eat, you know, until, until evening, for example, sunset. But you have to be careful because you have to work and drive kids around, and it's hard if you are doing all the things you have to do. It's hard. So, um, but my suggestion to you is just pick something, right? Just pick something. And you remember, this isn't sort of give and a take. This isn't a back and a forth. The Lord makes some move, or the Lord takes some action. You know, he's going to take, he takes, he's good, he tells Israel, you're coming out of Egypt, and so they have the Passover, right? They order their life together. Or the Day of Atonement, the Lord says, I'm willing to forgive everything. I mean, you could just, just, if I said to you, you know, if I said to you, I'll forgive every debt you've got, right? I'll arrange to make, forgive every debt, house, car, college, loans, everything, I'll forgive everything you've got. That would probably be incentive for you to show up. Right? For one day. If you, take, if you give me one day, I'll forgive everything you've got. That's what the Lord says on the Day of Atonement. Right? I'll forgive everything you've got if you just give me one day. You rest. You don't eat. You don't drink. You repent. Sackcloth and ashes. I'm not, he's not asking for, a, a, for you to do something. It's just you just relax and take stock of the universe. Right? So it works like this. The Lord makes a move. We respond to that move in a particular way. So the Lord gives blessing and order, for example. We respond with order that blesses, and we carry that on for some period of time. And 40 is the holy number, as you heard, Ash Wednesday. It's a regular. There's a lot of holy numbers in scriptures, 7 and 10 and 40 and 12. You know, those are great numbers. But this is your 40, and um, this is your time to, I would just urge you, to give something up. Now, what happens? You get hungry, you get thirsty. What does that do? It tells you that 
life isn't normal right now. And then you say to yourself very simply, why isn't it normal right now? And then you say to yourself, well, it's because it's Lent. And I'm going with Jesus to the cross where he's going to forgive me. And he's invited me to walk along with him. And so it's good for you to say a prayer or two. And then, you know, sort of the next stretches, and I've run you a couple of church fathers, and I will, mothers too, over the course of the next few weeks, where they say, hey, you know, you give money. Anybody can give money. How about fasting from gossiping? How about fasting from slandering other people? How about saying kind things to the poor, people who are different from you? There's church mothers and church fathers. In almost every week, I think I gave you something where they talk about actually not abstinence and not fasting in sort of the senses that we think of them, but rather as a notion of kindness. Okay? So there's no Lent without fasting. I mean, and this is, it's one of those things where Lutherans just got off track. They should get, I mean, when Jesus says, these demons are only going to come out if, with prayer and fasting, and then you say, well, we're not going to do fasting because the Catholics do that. I mean, you see the fish fry over there going on. Look at it. We can't, we're not, that's not us. We don't have a fish fry. Although that's a great fish fry. So, you know, uh, just saying, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, these things only come out with prayer and fasting. Then maybe we should spend some time in prayer and fasting, right? Jesus gives you this gift of prayer and he gives you this gift of fasting. And you have to see your whole life. And this was part behind, he didn't say it in this way, but this is part of the sermon today. Everything in your life is a gift and blessing. Even your pain, even your death. Right? So a blessed death is to say, my death is a gift from God. God's acting on me now, and he'll move me, this liminal sense of he'll move me across a threshold into a, 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 into a new life where I become fully human. Right? Um, you've heard that a thousand times before, but I didn't want the first, I didn't want the first Sunday in Lent to pass without, and I, usually I would say it to you in Transfiguration, but that bright young Pastor Kuntz here last week. Um, it's hopeful, right? You should hear P and Bukes jabber around about, you know, participles and prepositions. They're both Greek nerds. So uh, it's kind of fun to, you just kind of stand back and hope nothing catches fire. All right, questions about any of that? You all good? So think of something. So um, if you want to go to a CapCam meeting, there'll be one more. Come on Friday, please. And please um, open the stuff we're sending and reading. And, you know, I just, I'm going to go all the way to we're just, just dismissing the criticism that we're not communicating. Because we just, you know, we have nine different ways we're communicating with you right now in the next six weeks. So it's kind of an empty, it's like a leftover criticism from another era. Just kind of put that on the shelf. By the way, congratulations. It was nice to see in the first six months down on the board. So this was in the email you got. It's also on the big screen that we gave about $100,000 away in the first six months around, you know, in Wheaton and around the world, and that's, that's really good. Um, we were 40% over what we said we'd give to the Synod, we gave, or to the district, we gave 40% more, um, but we don't do our primary work through them, but nevertheless, that was good. So congratulations, you're doing a good job with things. And in general, the people I've talked to, people who have talked to me, have been very earnest about trying to figure this out. And, and that's, a, that's a healthy sign in the congregation. And I will say, um, from the younger pastors, Bukes and Nelson, there was a large push as we conceived this to really focus on your ordinary life. Um, I wasn't as convinced of that, but I actually am seeing, because I thought we had done enough of it, but I um, haven't seen kind of the results of people and their faithfulness and their replies. And of course, that's always 
that's always um, better for the future. This is why your boss gives you a big bonus but doesn't increase your pay, right? Because he doesn't want to be on the hook for your pay. He just wants to be on the you know, and your bonus can, oh, disappeared, sorry, right? Uh, yeah, right, this is a, well, you know, the ordinary giving increase is a repeatable thing. So that's been very nice. And then the notion of people kind of coming free and thinking about it differently. New members class, I think people are still a little bit confused. They're a little bit like, watch the shiny object while I, the pastor reaches his hand into my pocket and pulls this up. Right? They still, they're still like, but you know, they're, they're, they're coming. Uh, you know, they're coming along. It, just t- it takes a while to trust if you haven't ever been, uh, maybe either, either people have been silent or maybe you haven't been treated well. So anyway. Are there any questions just about any of that kind of stuff? Keep going. Um, I said to the guys this morning in the vestry, it feels a little bit like the end of Lent rather than the beginning just because of the uh, extra press of interactions and people and and sending stuff out. But it's going to be a great Easter. Um, There's already a lot of baptisms set up in Lent into Easter, which is really, really nice. So vigil should be fun and life should be good. All right, all good? All right, um, then I want to talk to you about one of, actually is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. And um, it's, uh, it's interesting because you see Jesus who goes to people in so many different ways. He's trying to make people fully human. And Jesus realizes that all of us have parts, right? So you get it differently in different Gospels. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, Right? You, you, it's like, a, so is it two parts, body and soul? Is it three parts, throwing your mind? Is it four parts, as your spirit different? Well, in a way, it's just Jesus saying to you, hey, give it all you've got, right? Love God with everything you've got. And what we've seen over the past few weeks is that Jesus has come to people, and he's healed them in different ways, usually according to their presenting symptom. You know, you go to the doc, you know, what's wrong? This, this presenting symptom, right? So you have the guy, for example... Um, let me just kind of go through. You got, you got Andrew and John who are too smart for their own good, and you got Nicodemus who is at cross purposes because his politics have played into his, and he's a little bit of a victim of how he's been raised. It's, so he's on the Sanhedrin and he's rich, so he's got money and power, and then he comes by night to Jesus, so he's got all kinds of things that need to be fixed. You have this woman who's at the well who's cast out. Her skin color is not the right color, and her bloodline isn't right. She wasn't fully German. She had some Czech in her, or maybe some Polish. I'm not sure. So, you know, so she couldn't quite be accepted by the family. You know how this goes, all of you. Um, and then, or maybe you know too well. So, and then, uh, you know, then we had last week uh, or two weeks ago uh, the man by the pool who's just can't walk, right? The family just leaves him there for 39 years, which is very isolating powerlessness of being unable to walk. And Jesus says, yeah, you should probably just walk and go home. And then people challenge him, right? And now this woman who takes the other side. Now you have a woman who's um, hurt deeply in soul, right? So she's a sinner, but worse than that, she's pressed by people who really would do her in. And, of course, the easy thing about saying we're better than she is, right? You have all these elements at work. And the glory of Jesus who restores her completely, body, soul, and spirit. So that's sort of what I want to go to today. And I want to see if you can pick that up. Because I find this, um, I find this uh, common for us, right? And with other people, too. And even with kids, I ran across some old notes from John Kleinig while I was preparing for 
uh, Saturday with the catechumen about prayer where John, I, I've told you this before, he said that the reason you kids don't come to church is because they don't love you. It's because they're ashamed. Right? They're ashamed of the stuff they've done while they were away at college or when you didn't see it. And the reason they don't come is because they're afraid of what you'll think of them. And one of the great things about St. John is how welcoming it is uh, and hopefully not non-condemning, non right? Hopefully, um, we're kinda, we kind of see that we're all in it together. And that, that's, that's this story here, right? So um, I'm kind of just working down the list that, uh, so with the outline today, uh, I'm kind of through point one and point two, that God just wants you to be fully human. And he wants to, he doesn't want you to be a Gnostic. He doesn't want to say my flesh is bad or my impulses are bad or my desires are bad. Um, they are, there's beautiful things and in, in there's, there's the joy of, uh, you know, of intellect, there's the joy of body, there's the joy of, uh, you know, of spirit, there's all kinds of things going on. But I, I try to, at the top of the second page where I said the best response to being loved is when somebody says love you back, you know, which means you'll, you'll sort of love Jesus with everything he's got and that's the happy conclusion of this story which I think probably all of you know that Jesus will, um, you know, love you back, let you love him back. So uh, John 8, right? This is, this, is, this is a great story. So if you've got a Bible, spin it open. Everybody goes home. Um, John 8, verse 2. Early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple. So you have this very interesting thing where we've been watching Jesus, who's the new Torah, right? Jesus, who's the new way. Jesus, who is the new light. Jesus, who is the new word. Jesus, who is the new Adam. Jesus, who is um, the new way home. Now, Jesus, who's also the new temple, he comes to the old temple. So that, this, is, this is kind of a setup. So you've got his flesh, you know, his flesh, the new temple. Tear down this temple, in three days I'll build it back. You know, this took, uh, took him 100 years to build this. How, how, how can you get that done? He was speaking about the temple of his body, John says. So you have this old temple, and... These people who want to be his disciples, they would like Jesus to be their rabbi. And you know how this works. Whenever there's anybody who is a sensation, then there are other people who are um, jealous of that or contrary to that or simply want to take it down. I'm, I'm, if you're following the outline, I'm, I'm right about point six. Now you have this horrible thing where this woman is shamed and endangered. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. Okay? So you go, um, you know, what exactly does that mean? Well, you know, ironically, this is number seven. One of the advantages to being caught in the act is that there's a certain clarity to the situation. And I know um, you can go down, you can take this text, what happened to the man, what did they actually see, where did this actually happen, how is it so convenient that she's caught just at this time, was somebody set up, what does Jesus write in the dirt? I don't, have, I don't know the answer to any of those questions because the text doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that she's caught, and she doesn't dispute the fact that she's caught. It's very, very interesting. So, you know, she's, she's just caught on camera, red-handed. The guy behind her just happened to be an off-duty, you know, Chicago police captain. So, you know, there's no, you're caught, right? She's cuffed up, and here we go. 
Uh, remember that for the next time your kids are cuffed up. We will take care of them. Send them our name. We have bail money available. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And even Jesus doesn't dispute it. Are you sure what was going on there? Yeah. So Moses said, right, so new temple, right, new Torah, new word. Now, are you also the new Moses? And if you're the new Moses, remember Moses said, Deuteronomy 18.15, I think. He said, hey, um, someday there's going to be a bigger and better Moses than I ever was. Someday there'll be a new prophet. It's taken as a reference to the Messiah, and it's what people are on the lookout for. Can anything good come out of Galilee? They were looking for a Messiah to come out of Jerusalem, right? You expect Olympic champions to come out of the training programs. You don't expect them to come out of some little town in Minnesota, right? This, is, this doesn't happen. So Moses, um, the, the old Moses, the old Torah, the old Moses, the old Moses said we should stone her. And what do you have to say? And then, um, you know, I'm sort of just at point eight there. And this is, you know, here's the thing. If Jesus agrees, then the woman gets stoned. And if Jesus disagrees, then Jesus gets stoned. There's a couple of bad options. Because Jesus, he either lets her suffer the stoning or he takes the stoning. Now, you have to push this all the way out. Is this really going to happen? But in fact, people were stoned and they're still stoned today. You can YouTube it up. And you should watch about three seconds of it. It'll be the most horrible thing you've ever seen. You can... Appears on the evening news every, you know, once a year, they, they have some of somebody being stoned to death. And you kind of think to yourself, really, I could have gone the rest of my life without seeing that. And there's sometimes people argue about would she really have been stoned. But here's the thing. People do get the death penalty, and stoning was one of the death penalties. The point is, will Jesus sacrifice himself for this woman? Does he sacrifice her? Does he sacrifice himself? Does he agree with Moses? There's all these... See, they're very simple sentences. Is he a true Moses or a false Moses? Is he a new Moses or an old Moses? Is he a new law or an old law? Is he merciful or is he hard-nosed, right? So, um, you know, there's just this beautiful thing. This is what Moses says. What do you say? This they said to test him so they might have a charge to bring against him. Jesus went down and wrote on the, on the ground with his finger. You know, nobody really knows what's going on there. Um, so it's, you know, there's no point in even sort of wasting time on it. You don't, you don't know what's going on. And they continued to ask him. While you continue to ask, let me pause and give you this thing, which I've given you before, but this is point number nine, which I have sort of thought to myself, if you're a parent, um, especially, I found, I found this to be glorious, okay? So I just want to remind you, <clears throat> good Lutherans, Every vicar, there he is, pay attention, the law always accuses, right? The law always accuses, second use of the law. The law always accuses. Yes, it does always accuse. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, third use of the law. This will settle that whole class you have to take. Just write this down the first day and ask if you can go into a more fun elective, sewing or basket making, something something with some LWML practical, the quilters, right? Extension course. 
from St. John. We can get you credit. We'll pay for materials. So the law accuses you. The law basically says to you, you're a sinner. This is holy. This is you. You're not holy. You're a sinner. The law accuses you. Just so you remember who you are. This is basic stuff. And in my first congregation, this is, you know, the things you face in your first congregation is so interesting. I had a really nice guy who really believed he didn't sin. And it was difficult because he kind of made it known to the congregation. No, it was hard because he was kind of a soft-spoken, nice guy, but he really thought he didn't have any sins. And finally, we just said, you know, we're going to assign, this is when video cameras first came out, we're going to have an elder follow you around for a week with a video camera 24-7. Then we'll, together we'll review the tape, right? I mean, come on. So we're all sinners. That levels us all. But, and so we have to make judgments about what's holy and what's not holy, what's good and what's evil, what's ordered and what's chaos, what's true and what's false. This is just basic stuff. But, and this is what people can't ever understand. And this is the, you know, although things are snapping back a little bit, you know, we, we've lived in the world for three or four years where you couldn't disagree with anybody, but people, things are coming around a little bit. You know, the, this Facebook moment is so interesting to watch from the outside, as was the Me Too thing. These are also interesting. Why? Because they're true, and the church has been thinking about this for 2,000 or 4,000 years and knows how to deal with this. All of this stuff that's being talked about is already there in church moral theology. But when you say, or you know, Peter Thiel leaving Silicon Valley this week and saying everybody's on one side of the boat, he gave a speech at Stanford where he said, this is, this is how politics goes bad when everybody's on one side of the boat. It's so interesting. That's not to sort of endorse anybody's politics. It's just to observe um, things can go bad. Well, so here's the thing. The church knows how to handle all this stuff already. We, this is what we do. This is the bread and butter, right? So Google th- Google's you know, initial thing, do no evil, and the New York Times is new, we're the truth, right? It was just so interesting, because is anything really evil, and is there any real truth? Er, the world got so bad, we suddenly backpedaled on all these things. So it's just it's so interesting to watch things kind of come. Now, you shouldn't be sort of gloating about that. You should just say, we're in a position to talk clearly about what's true and what's false without condemnation. And this is what, this is what Christians find so hard, because it's so fun, right? It's so fun to have a group like this, and we're better than everybody else, and we're, we're willing to tell them so, right? Including your relatives and your kids and your friends, you know? It's interesting that we don't see this. We do have the accusation, if you think in the sense that we do tell right from wrong, but everything is forgiven. There is no condemnation. The law always accuses. Yes, it does. There is no condemnation. Second use of the law, third use of the law. So you can be a sinner and be holy at the same time. Whoa, now we're back to being Lutherans, right? Symbol used to Seth Picotter. 100% sinner, 100% saint all the time. Why? Because of myself, I'm a sinner, like this woman. And then I'm also whatever Jesus says I am. Right? So you know this, and I haven't told this story for years, and, but you know this famous you know, baseball thing where the, the pitcher throws, the catcher frames, pops in the glove, and the umpire is silent. And then, without looking up, he says to the umpire, what is it? And the umpire says, it's nothing until I call it. Right? That's Jesus. You're not, you are whatever Jesus calls it. Doesn't matter what the replay says. This is pre-replay days. It doesn't work so much anymore. But it's nothing until Jesus calls it. 
So, and, and my very first point was faith agrees. So what's Jesus going to call it? That's the question. Or, you know, just personalize it. When you're a big sinner, what's Jesus going to call you? Well, he's going to call you something like this. Adultery is not good for you. It really never works out the way you think it is. But I still love you because there is no condemnation for those. And then remember, in Christ Jesus is technical word for the baptized. Romans 6. You're baptized into Christ. Now you're in Christ. So when, once you're baptized, there's no condemnation for you. Right? So if you're a parent, or basically if you don't live alone in a, <clears throat> as an ascetic on a mountain in a shack, there's only one purpose for punishment, and that's to teach a lesson. Now, I have had some uh, rigorous Lutherans who I respect kind of go hard at me about this, as if this is too soft. But I, I have it hung in front of my desk. It's one of the ten things I read on a regular basis. I think this is utterly true and so helpful. There's only one purpose for punishment, so that would be accusation, but not destruction. Not condemnation and destruction. There's only one purpose for punishment, and that's to teach a lesson. It's really not good if you sleep with another woman's husband, okay? That's not, it never works out. And there's only one lesson to be taught, and that is love. What? Now, you just, just grid this against what we're going to read. Perfect love banishes fear. All right, that's First Peter, right? Love casts out fear. Perfect love banishes fear. If you're perfectly loved, there's nothing at all to be afraid of. And when we are not afraid, we know that love that includes forgiveness. When the lesson to be learned is not love, that is, if it's condemnation or destruction or hurting somebody else, when the lesson to be learned is not love, that is not punishment. It is, here you go, revenge or retribution. Probably the lesson of love is the most terrible punishment of all, an almost intolerable anguish. For it means the sinner has to realize what's been done. So we'll ask ourselves about this woman, does she realize what's been done? Has to be truly sorry, does she, is she truly sorry? To repent, does she, and to turn to God. And most of us are too filled with outrage at rape and murder to want the sinner to repent. We want the sinner to feel terrible, but not to turn to God and be made whole and be forgiven. And so we show that we do not know the meaning of forgiveness any more than Jonah did in his vindictive outrage at the people of Nineveh. So this is what makes it hard to be a Christian, that you actually love people that everybody else hates, or stronger people whom you have every right to hate by the standards of the world. So, all right, you still okay? This is, these are simple things, right? That you want people to be held accountable. Um, you know, Pope Benedict wrote this brilliant thing about the, I think I ran it once as a margin comment, but it's so, so touchy, I, I, don't, I probably didn't run it twice. Um, he wrote this thing where he basically said, an Irish, the Irish bishop said to him, the reason the sex scandal went wrong with all these people being abused so much over the past 50 years. He said, you know, in the mid-60s or so, um, the church lost its ability to punish priests, just sort of turned a blind eye under the, under the notion of love, right? They lost this distinction between 
accusation and condemnation, right? If priests abuse children, they go to jail. That's what happens. There isn't any sort of free pass because you wear a collar. It's crazy talk, right? So there is accusation. It's sin. You broke the law. You're a sinner. And there's also, but there's not condemnation. We don't want to destroy you, but there is a debt to be paid or there is um, punishment to be endured, right? So let's see how Jesus does this. They said this to test him, right? Moses said to stone him, um, what do you say? They said this to test him. He drops down and he writes with his, and then he stands up and he says, you know, this crazy, clever thing of um, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, Right? So let me just pick that up by running down this page. So I'm just above number 10. You know, for those of you who are afraid um, that all hell will break loose if love has its way, um, just remember that folks get older and wiser. One of the great things about having older folks around in a congregation, usually, usually what happens is they're tempered, they're tempered by life. Usually older folks have enough experience and enough wisdom to see the things that they've done wrong, to see the mistakes that they've made, and to see places where they've really hurt other people, including the people who are closest to them, spouses and kids and family members, right? Some people are obtuse. Some people don't get it. But most people, as they get older, they get wiser. Of course, that's what happens in this story. Um, they, they They left from... Oldest to youngest, which is the biblical way. They, they left from wisest to dumbest, right? The smart old folks got it first. You know, young people are still wanted to push everybody around, or maybe their frontal lobe hadn't developed all the way. Right? They, they hung around a little longer. And a pack of gravel for the boy. What? Testing? Really? None of you? Monty Python? Life of Brian, thank you, finally, for goodness sakes, how hard I have to work, right? Not dead yet. So the reason for not going out and sinning all you like is the same reason for not going out and putting your nose in the slicing machine. It's dumb, it's stupid, and no fun. Some individual sins, like adultery, right, may have pleasure still attached to them because of the residual goodness of the reality that they're abusing. So you can't, with adultery, you can't empty sex of every good aspect. You just can't do it, right? It's too good. You just can't do it. It's like food. You know, gluttony doesn't empty, you know, a great steak and a bottle of wine from some joy, right? Even though it's a sin. It's just like creation is too good. But here it is, right? Some individual sins still have pleasure attached to them because of the residual goodness of the reality they're abusing. Adultery can indeed be pleasant, and tying one on can amuse, but, right, and this is the story today, but betrayal, jealousy, and love grown cold, and the gray dawn of the morning after are nobody's idea of a good time. This is just this is genius, right? I mean, there's people, you, you bump into people that are a thousand times smarter than yourself. You're kind of, we tried to get Capon to come and see us. We called him. He was um, old and said he no longer could travel that far. But he lives outside. He did. He's died now. It was about 10 years ago we tried to get him to come. 
see us. And he said, but he said, but if you're ever in the area, you could pop in for tea. <laughs> and I go, you know what? God bless you, right? So um, here you go, man. This is, um, this, is just this, this is just the greatest story. This is the greatest story ever. So Jesus tells people what the world looks like. And when they heard it, this is verse 9, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest, the smartest. And then this great thing. This is Lent right here, all in a couple of sentences. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, you just, you just kind of imagine this, right? He's, at the very least, he's the best new rabbi in town. At the very most, he's the word of God incarnate. She re recognizes him something in between. And she's just seen that he's done a remarkable thing, which has spared her neck. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest. Jesus was left alone with her. And Jesus looked up and he said to her, hey, where did everybody go? Right? It's just so beautiful. Has no one condemned you? And of course, you see the possibilities here. And this is probably your take home for this. The possibilities are, of course, that the community would condemn her. And then maybe that's the easiest one. Um, Everybody has kind of gone home now. You know, it might, be, it might overstate the text to say she's all squared up with the community and the Pharisees and everybody's going to live and let live. You know, um, things don't work that easily. All you have to do is be on Nextdoor or Facebook and you can see, you know, sometimes things don't work that easily. But in general, for the point of the exercise, her community has taken the pressure off. They've all gone home. All right. So does anybody condemn you? Not the community. What are the other possibilities? One is Jesus himself, right? But Jesus has stayed, and Jesus has protected her. Does anyone, does anyone condemn you? And then you kind of think she's saying it like this, kind of like, uh, no one, Lord? Right? It's kind of like, like you're really not condemning you. You didn't try to, you know, take me out behind the dumpster and give me a and troll me a beaten, as they would say in New Jersey. Norma. <laughs> yeah, right, you know. Uh, you know. So he has, does anyone, she, so she's kind of like, you're, you're not condemning me either, so hold on, let's just, just let's, let me make sense of this now. So everybody's going home, so my, my the, the people in Jerusalem don't condemn me anymore. Okay, so I've got the community sorted out. And then you, on a range of rabbi to second person of the Trinity, you don't condemn me anymore? You love me this much? So she's squared up with the community. She's squared up with God. But of course, then the hardest thing for you often is to be squared up with yourself. Right? Does anyone condemn you? Jesus looked at her and said, woman, hey, where'd everybody go? Does any, has no one condemned you? She says, no one. So she could be saying it like, no one? Like, I'm just not quite sure. This is too good to believe. Kind of like when they went to the tomb, you remember on Easter in a few weeks, they're going to say, they disbelieved for joy. That's how the text should read. They disbelieved for joy. It was too good to be true. They disbelieved for joy. But the other possibility is that she firmly says, nobody, and then in that would be, not even me. So faith agrees, right? So the community doesn't condemn her. And Jesus doesn't condemn her. And she doesn't condemn herself. So the community can love her and Jesus can love her. And 
she can love herself, right? And then Jesus gives this um, great freedom. And you know, you can, if you're an old school, you know, hard-nosed, you still think God condemns everybody Lutheran, you could read it like this. Well, go and sin no more. Or it can be more like this. Wow, good thing adultery isn't bugging you anymore. You, can, you don't have to slam your finger in the car door anymore, right? Hey, you're free. Don't slam your finger in the car door anymore. This is great. Now, if you struggle with that, um, I, there's a couple of quotes here at the end. If you turn the page, uh, you know, this is under 13. The business of hating yourself, though it appears virtuous, is one of Satan's most plausible devices. Isn't this interesting? It keeps a man preoccupied with himself and his sins. The abject attitude of self-loathing may be natural in the presence of God's holiness. But never do we find in the Bible that God requires this continuous. So you say, I sinned, and I'd like to be forgiven, and then it's over. Having seen and admitted our faults, the command is to stand or go or do, or don't do in this case. Or just turn the page, right? Now one. Who's always good, right? Either one of these. Let's just read one because, um, but, you know, the voice of Jesus says, don't judge yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Don't reject yourself. Let my love touch the deepest and most hidden corners of your heart and reveal to you your own beauty, a beauty that you have lost sight of, right? When your life is chaotic and you sin, you've lost sight of the beauty in your life but which will become visible to you again in the light of mercy. The voice of Jesus says, come, come, let me wipe away your tears. Let my mouth come close to your ear and say to you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Right? And then, you know, a margin comment for my funeral. The next page, 15. Whether taking a shower, I had a, somebody come to me once and said, you know, my, a good friend of mine is dying He's all um, stirred up about whether he's going to heaven. You know, he's had some horrible things in his life. He's been to church, but he's tossing and turning in a bed at CDH. What do, what do I say to him? I mean, that's beyond about just about everybody, including us. So I gave him this quote, and I said, just read this in his ear and see what happens. I love this. I think it's so good. Whether taking a shower, jogging on the levee, eating a meal, or praying the scriptures a vivid recollection of some sin of my past life would flash through my mind. I think you probably have all had this. If not, you need to go to confession during Lent and find one. But you've all had this, right? One afternoon, I dove under the covers trying to hide from myself. I felt unclean like a moral leopard scarred with sin. That same night, I read a passage from a book by Nikos Kazantzikos, I think it is, Letters to Greco. Listen to this. An old man lies dying. He is filled with grief, remorse, and guilt because of his sinful life. At length he dies and goes naked, trembling before the Lord for judgment. Jesus has a big bowl of sweet-smelling ointment and washes the man clean of his grime and shame. Then Jesus says, Don't bother me with that stuff anymore. Go over and play. Isn't that great? There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Last thing, at Cambridge, um, you know, there are all these clever folks who would take great risks on their, so you know, now there's, there's lore and then there's real things. You know, in the philosophy department, 
Um, you know, there was what's, you, and you know, everything depends on your end of year exams. You study all year, you write papers, but only the end of year exams. You, you've got to be good for one day. If you're not good that day, um, see you later. So in the philosophy department, reputedly, there was, this was the prompt in the philosophy department. Is this a question? And the reputed answer was, if it is, then this is the answer. <laughs> so then, you know, um, the other way you could score highly was always to quote poo. If you could, if you could work a little poo into your, into your exams at Cambridge or Oxford, you know, that, that shows that you, it's like sin. You, you, when you laugh at it a little bit, it means you've mastered it. Right? When you can laugh at the devil's temptations, you've, 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 when you can laugh at it a little bit in yourself. So this is what we do every Sunday. Here it is. This is the first thing we do. We say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Then we say, if you have no sin, you deceive yourself. And then you kneel down. And then this is what you say. I have been foolish and deluded, said Christopher Robin. Or I'm sorry, said Pooh. I have been foolish and deluded, said he. And I am a bear of no brain at all. Right? That's what you say. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. This is what you say. This is a confession. I have been foolish and deluded, and I have a bear of no brain at all. That's what you say. Now Jesus talks. You are the best bear in all the world, said Christopher Robin, soothingly. Confession, absolution, you, Jesus, Pooh, Christopher Robin, it's all the same. Am I? said Pooh hopefully, and then he brightened up suddenly. New life in faith, sanctification after justification. You see, that's all you need to know. I don't know why the vicar's going to seminary. This is all you got to know. Right? It's too bad he wasted his money. He says, if, the, if, there's, if that's the question, this is the answer, and read Pooh. All right, let's pray, and um, see you next week. Lord, remember us in your kingdom, and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay.